This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome back. This is Elizabeth Cronin, one of your hosts. And today I am talking with Nadia Davis about parenting and mindfulness. Last month, I had the pleasure of talking with Nadia about her new book, Home Is Within You, a memoir of recovery and redemption. In the interview, we talked a lot about Nadia's experiences with trauma, her struggles with addiction, and her transformational healing. We spent a great deal of time on the devastating impact of deeply felt shame. In addition, we discussed the need for serious changes in the way the systems within our society deal with trauma and addiction. Our time together passed quickly, and it was impossible to touch upon all the meaningful content within Nadia's memoir. One of those topics, parenting and mindfulness, is of great interest to both Nadia and myself. So, we arranged for a second meeting to continue our conversation with a focus on this special and important subject. For more information about Nadia, her book, and her interest in parenting and mindfulness, please visit her website at www.nadia-davis.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. This is Elizabeth Cronin, one of your hosts. And today, I am talking with Nadia Davis about parenting and mindfulness. Welcome back. I'm so glad to talk with you again. Thank you for having me back. So I was mentioning in the intro, uh, the time went so quickly last time we connected and we were able to arrange to just have another, another get together and talk some more. And this time really focus on parenting and mindfulness. So maybe we can start by you telling us why this means so much to you. I'm living in the work. And I think that the more that we share the stories in real time, especially for those in trauma and addiction recovery or, or any struggles. It's, it's the more that we share how we're using tools we've learned, skills we've learned in real time, the, the more that shame is banned and the more vulnerable that we can be with each other. And that includes as a mother, I do it often and um, there's strength in it. And doing so as a daughter has actually allowed my mom to open up to me a little bit more also. So it's a full circle. I also want to say that um, I'm no guru and that a lot of the learnings, you know, that I mentioned, um, they're, they're touched upon in Home is Within You. Um, but a lot of the stuff that I will share here and that I speak about in a lot of my live, um, the work that I do, you know, live on Instagram. It's, it's a combination of things. It's from trauma therapy. It's from 
um, A Course in Miracles. It's from Kundalini Yoga. It's from 12-Step Recovery. And it all combined to help me find a home within that I call home that is a safe and clear and calm space. But I will reference terms and learnings. And when I do so, I'm not pretending to be like a guru or anything. I'm simply saying how I live the work for myself and then with my children. So. I think that's helpful too, because I did know in, in your book, Home is Within, you do reference like attachments, um, you know, secure attachments and different things like that. And I, I think that's helpful for anyone who wants to learn more about some aspect. I think it's great that you're referencing the source or, you know, the right the area where you where you got your skills or acquired the wisdom. Um, I thought maybe it would be helpful for me to ask you to say something um, that you wrote, say something about what you wrote. Really, it's the topic of your whole chapter 20 in the book. Um, and you kind of write that. <laughs> well, you write, you write on the, on the second page in chapter 20, that you were really, when you got to a certain point where you were really doing well yourself, you know, managing, starting to feel like you'd been through so much, um, but really feeling like you were on the right track. You developed a lot of skills. You were doing the work yourself. That in doing the work yourself, you got to a certain place where you then were able to start to think about and and really uh, focus a little more on how did you, you wrote right in the book, how did my trauma and bad choices affect my children? And I just got like a shiver when I read that because even, even I think any parent, even without trauma and without a struggle of addiction, I think we, we all need to wonder and, and, right. and think about how the way we are, the way we live our lives affects our children. So I thought that might be a nice entry into you've clearly thought this through a lot and mm -hmm. you do share in the book too some very intentional ways that you try to consider. I think that the biggest effect on them was developing secure attachment and that the broken household created uh, a level of physical anxiety. And so, you know, my goal is to teach them to not seek the outside solution, the award, the grade, the quick fix, the quick fix. And then eventually, I mean, I have a 19 year old and then I have seven year old twin boys, but you know, the, the drink, the, all of it. Um, so, so that gets to this work today. It's, it's, um, showing them, um, secure attachment really by providing a safe ambiance, stability, you know, regularity and schedule. And, uh, I only have so much power over that because we have a shared custody. And so it comes from what energy and space that I create within me. And then it also arises in interacting as a co-parent. 
and then I can observe the kids and start to help to to grow a home within them and that I do very specific things for that that I can get into so yeah but I want to emphasize it really it starts it starts within to be able to even recognize the effect on the children say more about that so when we are in it when we are either in our addiction or are in a trigger and and have not gained skills to be able to recognize that, we will not be aware of how or why our children may be behaving in a certain way. Um, you know, I, I didn't know the word secure attachment or healthy attachment. And when they have anxiety, for example, when I'm dropping them off or, or um, you know, it, I mean, it was, it was bad in the past. I would not, in the past, I would have gone straight into my own guilt and shame. And it, I would have made the situation about me and I wouldn't have been able to be present. And so, you know, getting away from a word of character defect, of, of selfishness or anything like that in the 12-step program I learned in trauma therapy. Okay, this is shame and guilt coming up. I'm, I am aware of it, but what is happening right here and right now? And so that took a lot of internal work. And I would say that situations like that still come up now and then. Um, but I see them as like these grand opportunities. And so the more internal work that we do, the more observant we are of ourselves, the less in our moment, in ourselves we are. And then we're just fully present for our child and can, you know, replicate what we learned and walk them through different tools. And so, you know, I, I'm looking forward to to explaining kind of the process that I've done and, and how the last couple of years, it's, it's really, I mean, it's done wonders, but we are in physical bodies. And so it'll, and, and they're in physical bodies and they're in a mind. And so it's not as the, you know, the work ends. It's, um, it's, it's an ongoing process. Like I said, living the work myself, it will be helping them, you know, into adulthood to, to remember the tools that hopefully they gained that, that I never gained. So. Right. So let's, let's break that down for listeners, because that's a, that's a nice example. You're taking, say your, your twins, they're seven years old mm -hmm. somewhere and you're dropping them off and you're, you're going to leave and. Mm -hmm. Let's break down like what it would be so, and it might not happen that often these days, but an example would be for you that they start to show signs like, oh, no, don't leave, or they're just, they appear to be anxious or, um, or they get reluctant to get out of the car or something like that. And what you, what I think I heard you just say is that then you would start to feel like somehow it would become about you, like, oh, I must not have been a good mother. They, they don't want to go or tell us a little bit about like what was the thinking that would come up in you with the shame yeah the most recent situation I can think of was 
um, on their father's time, one of them had a rehearsal for, for an elementary talent show. And, um, I was the one that, you know, had been working with him and, and, um, yeah, he, he wanted to leave with mommy and, um, there was no kind of flexibility offered from their father. So, uh, what, what I did was, well, in the past it would have been, you know, uh, how can I reassure him that everything's going to be okay? I would have verbally said, you know, you know, you're okay right now. Everything's going to be okay. But in my head, um, it would have, it would have taken me away to worries for the future, to, um, you know, the unknowns, a feeling of powerlessness, um, over them. Uh, it just, it, there would have been a, a myriad of thoughts taking me out of the moment um versus more recently you know over the last couple of years it's been more this is because of this and deal with this right here in front of you right now when there's moments like that of like high tension or or a dis-ease i don't i see it as an opportunity i don't it doesn't affect me in a oh my god I gotta fix this right away you know um there's there's a sense of you know okay what's happening in his body he's restless and uh crying or whatever it might be because he's feeling it in his body it's not even at a point of what would you say he's feeling he's feeling anxiety or um yeah, it's it's a restlessness, anxiety, and children can't, I mean, children come from a place of harmony, and the mind creates this conflict. And for him and children that have gone through separation or, or separated homes or situations where I had to leave to get help, um, you know, there's, there's, an immediate survivalistic mind. And so it, it's just, it's manifested in their body. And unfortunately he learned that early. And so if I'm observing, you know, him and his body, I don't say like, you know, calm down that you don't go, I don't go there. Instead, the mindfulness work that I have done is to help me see like the somatic effect and to first, you know, maybe touch his knee you know, hold him and try to help him feel in his body safe. And then I'll say, you know, I'll put a name on the feeling. I'll, I have a big emoji charts in the house that have emojis for different feelings. Once he can get to that point, then eventually, eventually some breath work can be introduced. But in the initial moment, it's not letting the situation have a train ride of thoughts in my head and then recognizing, okay, it's in his body right now. If I remain calm in mind, I can give that to him. Then there's space within me to offer it. That's so interesting. My introduction to mindfulness was through training in dialectical behavior therapy which has a mindfulness component. Oh, and in the 
in this treatment program, I mean, it was very often people would say to each other, so it was a, a woman's group treatment program, and staff and the people, the women in the treatment would say, get out of your head, get out of your head. But there's this way that like, what, <laughs> when we feel uncomfortable in our bodies, we get out of the present moment and we sort of get into our head. And that's what I think you're describing is just a train of thoughts that, that hijack us. And the next thing you know, we might be saying to our child, like, oh, you're gonna be fine, you're gonna be fine. Meanwhile, we're just on a thinking about all kinds of all kinds of things. And and what it sounds like you're able to do is tolerate the discomfort that you experience in your body, seeing your child be uncomfortable in his body. You're able to just stay there so that you don't have to go escape to your head. And you're just able to say to him, Oh, you seem anxious, and you're able to provide some sort of soothing touch and just take a moment to just just be there with him in his anxiety. I mean, this is the beauty of recovery, mindfulness, and parenting is it's it's in real time. I mean, if 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 we're doing it for ourselves and we've been practicing it in that moment and it's quicker, it's it's almost like in real time with your child. So my time has gotten a little bit shorter or a lot shorter, a lot shorter to be able to then have that overlap. So we don't need to beat ourselves up for a thought or if one, you know, is sticking. It's just about implementing it within ourselves and beginning like that, that overlap with the child. There's no perfect, you know, black and white or, okay, I'm all calm within now all the time, you know, um, and I'm going to just teach my child. That's kind of what I mean by living the work is sometimes it's quick and other times it just takes longer. So it's, it's the more that we, again, we practice on our own and enter any situation calm and with the space within the more, that the more, again, the more that we are able to begin right away in any situation. But I want to point out to listeners that that if immediately upon a situation, a lot comes up, do not beat yourself up. It's an opportunity to do it within you and then along with your child, just calming the body and putting a name on it and replicating an example. Eventually, you know, it can get to really, really powerful, cool moments. So what do you think is helpful to some, for somebody who's in the habit of beating themselves up a lot? Oh, wow. A parent, I believe the most important thing that you can do is to set aside time every single day to connect to something beyond you. And if you don't believe in a quote unquote God, I use the word it, um, you can simply create something of your own to sit just quietly and observe your mind. We can never just stop our minds completely, but a space where you know you can turn to anytime, any place that you create for yourself that is like your source of power and truth and calming. Build that within in the morning and the night 
and you can tap into that wherever you're at. I, I think for anyone that hasn't had much experience with sitting quietly alone, um, it's hard to sort of imagine that there's something to gain from that. And, and yet mm-hmm. there is. I mean, I think what you're addressing is, is that that connection to something larger than yourself, whether you call it, if you're religious, you think it's God, or or if, even if you just think it's Mother Nature or the universe, it, that experience comes from getting beyond the thinking, thinking, thinking. Right. The time, right? So that's the... Well, the first time my therapist said to me, you know, you're not a body or your thoughts. I thought, you know, what on earth is this woman saying? And, and it was at the height of a lot going on in my life. And sometimes even a symbol, a a picture drawing a circle and, you know, seeing that, okay, this is your mind, this small pie piece, you know, and the rest is your true self. If it's a visual reminder, if it's a mantra, if it's a song, um, ideally a space, a physical space, you know, anything to set aside for you to separate in some tiny, tiny way from the rest of the world where you can say, okay, today I will be gentler on myself. I will observe my thoughts a little more. And when I notice I'm not, or when I'm running in them, I'm not going to beat myself up. And just starting with that is a really good baby step. And then you can build in some breath work to just calm your body. So you do a lot of breath work and you do meditate or yoga and you have a routine in place where you do have a daily practice. Yes. And I call that time, um, time with my beloved. It's, uh, <clears throat> yeah. It means like your beloved meaning yourself or your beloved. I guess both. <laughs> um, oh, I would see it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm in Kundalini yoga. There's, um, a mantra and it, it, and it explains the whole creation of the universe and, for me, it's, it's, um, I mean, it's Ekonkar Satanam and, um, it's from nothing and everything or Ek, it, there was movement and things were created and everything was created. And one of them is your true self. Nirval Nirver is without fear, without judgment. And, you know, in that space that we don't have the answers to what started everything. That is like the simplest explanation, whether, you know, you're an atheist and agnostic or have a religion or are Buddhist or a meditator or don't believe in anything, the ocean, something, it and everything moved and created things. And from that, we came and Sometimes it's just listening to that mantra. And in that space, I just say, okay, I'm here for today. Take this, hold this, hold this weight that's on me 
or I don't have the answers for this, or what is this trying to teach me? And if there's, if everything is great, it's what, what do I need to offer? Help me to be of service. It, it depends on what's going on, but it's that simple of a unknown that I connect to every day. I can show you the space in my room. And yeah, yeah, I think people that follow you on Instagram and can see when that space that you mentioned you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's awesome. Yeah. When you just, you just said those phrases from Kundalini Yoga, I caught my attention. You said fear and something else. Because it's nerval, nerver, and it's in the first six words. It's without fear and without judgment, formless, timeless. You know what I just came to my mind when you said that? I was thinking if you have a regular practice of sort of orienting yourself to navigate life that way without fear, without judgment, right. you're practicing that on a regular basis or mantra or through quieting your mind. It just made me think again to go back to you, your, your son wanting to stay with you and having to go with dad and showing anxiety at the separation that if if you have that as that sort of in the back of your mind without fear without judgment uh -huh. you don't judge yourself for for having a moment of feeling of stress you don't judge your child right. for crying or fussing you don't judge your your the, your child's father for being inflexible you you don't have judgment you don't have fear you don't have the fear of like well this is going to this is terrible if this continues or this is a sign that he's going to be miserable all night. Or you, I just like that. I really like that. Um, like how you presented that and how without fear, without judgment can be, I think in my training and meditation training, we would say also without resistance, you know, like we mm -hmm. just, we're talking about that too, sort of just allowing things to be. Right. How does that help children? Allowing <clears throat> or without fear, without well, judgment. Yeah, approaching your life without fear, without judgment, with acceptance. I think it's hard to teach children that. But, I mean, getting back to kind of the core structure of our mind, mm -hmm. um, that we are, I mean, we're infinite beings, whole and complete is what I believe. And then we're in a body that has a mind that creates what I call these attack thoughts. And they are mainly fear and judgment. And within, this is where shame is so powerful. And so with children, I think that when they are <clears throat> in fear or when they are judging another, I mean, let's just stick with, with their fears. Most of the time, it will manifest in a calling a sibling a name or or a you know, some sort of acting out, some sort of, they're, they're, they are afraid that they're not as important or they are afraid mommy's going to leave. Um, they are afraid of, of a whole variety of things. Um, it, it could be something simple. It could be, you know, very, very simple in the moment. It doesn't have to be something that's trauma-related at all. And so <clears throat> I think for children... My, with my understanding that, that fear and judgment are the main things that separate us 
from our true self. If I am seeing what I mentioned earlier, like a somatic body response to something, uh, that is where it's okay. Put a name on, use your mind in, in the right way in my head, I'm saying, and, and, you know, what, what are you feeling right now? And I have the understanding that it's coming from his mind that is simply trying to help him survive. So I don't have judgment. I say no shaming words because I have that awareness. So that, so then it's helping him not to do that within himself to not act out or say something or do something that he will feel ashamed about. And, and it's also having, helping him to not have shame about the initial feeling or emotion in the first place. So if he puts a name on it, it loses kind of the mental psychological power. And then it becomes, then it gets into the vulnerability. I mean, I have learned that human connection, as including creating secure attachment for children, requires vulnerability. And Marissa Franco, had, I, her quote, she says, what we feel vulnerable about is what we have been taught to feel shame in or about ourselves. So that is how all of this, that's how this can help children. It's I can't say you're having an attack thought. I can be aware and notice. Okay, he is in fear. Let this not become something that he feels ashamed about within. It's okay to be afraid. Nor, hopefully, it won't lead to an acting out that he would feel shame about. Instead, it's a, let's try and calm the body, allow the vulnerability put a name on the feeling. And the cool thing about that over and over time is that they're proud when they get even halfway there to that point. Mm. They're, they're so they're It's like this weight off of them. It's, it's this weight. That's just like, like they feel empowered. Like, well, you made me angry to each other. And, you know, or, or one of them wrote, you know, the other day when I was, wasn't allowing them to go outside and play in the rain, got out a piece of paper and wrote, I'm, and wrote, I'm angry, mama, you know, <laughs> um, it's beautiful. So again, there's no shame with them and there's no shaming. That's kind of how I apply the whole concept of attack thoughts and not separating him from what I know is his true self with shame. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> What do you, so when you get, he's, so he's writing, he writes on the, I'm an angry mama, angry mama. Mm -hmm. What would be a mindful response to that for you? I would, I say, you know, what, I might say, I'm proud of you for finding the feeling, or I would say, you know, tell me more. And why you have know, a chance to explain what angered you, you know, or, you know, mm -hmm. um, and then it always gets to, you know, that middle part, like the, the middle between the stimuli and the response. It always gets to the truth, you know. They always, you know, would say like, oh, I wanted to play, you know, I wanted to go and play with you. 
I wanted to get that, you know, the 10th one this time, um, you know, the, the basketball, um, you know, it'll get to the truth that's really behind the behavior is if you say, well, you know, why really are you angry? You know, and, and it's providing that safe place where they can be vulnerable. The other thing I'm thinking is that it also takes time. Yes. Yes. It's a process. You mean in the moment? <laughs> in the moment. Like, yes. And with twins, sometimes that's not easy because one will have, you know. Yeah. But you know, there's golden moments all the time. Little things. Another thing I want to point out is um, there's other little things I do. I mean, I'll have my mantra music on playing all the time and I'll have my books out and, and then the feelings charts and, and, uh, are you there? Yes. I, I had a notice on my phone. And so, um, you know, there's, there's stuff that's around and, um, and then they see, you know, mommy saying the mantras or, uh, you know, doing my own, like, okay, I'm going to take a deep breath right now. And, and little things like that, I've done FaceTime little breath work and, you know, four or five different consistent things that I'll, that I'll tell them to do in person or on FaceTime. And it adds up. It does take time. But the more that they're exposed to those little golden nuggets and snippets over time, you know, you will feel calmer and they will begin to gain these little gems and be, and to be exposed to just a different way of living entirely. So they are kids and their minds will be busy and, you know, kids can't necessarily meditate. They don't meditate unless they're sleeping, you know? Um, but they, they, you know, they'll remember deep breathing, you know, they'll, they'll remember naming a feeling. You know, they'll remember feeling safe and being able to be vulnerable with their feelings. And that's a heck of a lot more than than most of us received when we were young. Yeah, I'm thinking of this. I'm thinking of this poem that I used to keep on my refrigerator when my kids were really young. Okay. Children learn what they live. Children learn what they live. It, you know, talks about that, the psychological concept that we talk about, like modeling or even mm -hmm. a, what's a role model. So you're talking about by your repeatedly acting in a certain way and approaching situations a certain way that over and over they see that. And it's, it is interesting because I think what you just said, it's like it's different than what many people got because many people got the don't cry or, you know, uh -huh. or, um, that's ridiculous. So many other like comments that probably were more shaming. So exactly. And, and it does, it does work. I mean, why are we all, why are people so prone to addiction? Why are we all looking for a quick fix? Because that's the message we got is that we're not okay. What we feel isn't okay. And we need to, it gets so intolerable that we, the pain drives us to do all kinds of unhealthy behaviors, right? Right. And we won't reach out for help. We won't even, we'll keep it like a little hidden, you know, being inside us. And, and, and it's the mind creating shame from fear 
and from self-judgment and or outside judgment that we're remembering. And, you know, it's the mind's attack thoughts, as I call it. And, you know, I don't, I hope that my children don't have to live that way. Well, that actually makes me think of something else in the book that I wanted to, I wanted to bring up. And that was, it's towards the end of the book. Mm -hmm. You very generously share a conversation you had with your oldest son, I think Diego, about he's writing a, he's sitting down trying to write a college essay. And I think they asked him to talk about his shortcomings or something like that. Mm -hmm. And let me see, I have notes here. Um, and you, you're trying to help him write this and you're, you're trying to encourage him not to ignore or stuff down the hard stuff. Right. And that just seemed like another good example of where you were trying to encourage him not, not to try to hide or minimize or deny you were trying to help him, you know, put into words just what he's experienced in a way that demonstrates insight, not not any kind of like flaw or weakness. Exactly. But... And see, the mind goes immediately to, to this self-criticism. And it actually was a strength in him. And I remember that. I have a, I have a, a recent story that, that I'd like to say um, with regards to him. Um, but in that moment, he was writing his college essays and and was asked to, um, you know, describe a difficult time in his life. And um, and he's like, I really don't know what to say. And, you know, uh, it wasn't weaknesses. It was his strengths. He had a hard time identifying. And this is like straight A kid. He's such a good person. And and I or, and I said, well, what about the last couple of years? this is a few years ago. So it was like four or five years ago. And, you know, what, you know, what was going on within you during that time? It must have been really, you know, a difficult time. And, um, and that's how the essay began. It took somebody else to point out to me what was, you know, the hardest, the most, the biggest challenges in my life. And, but it, and you were only able to point it out to him because you were able to be aware of and tolerate that you'd been through the difficult time. That, yes, as well as not letting guilt and my own shame deny that truth of his, that he was an older brother when mom had to go into treatment and get help with two little brothers in high school. And so, you know... That's his truth. And in that moment, my own shame could have allowed to not even mention it. Instead, it was no shame within me. It was, what was that like for you? Do you, you know, and so it was a beautiful essay about what he, you know, it was beautiful. It was a couple paragraphs long and, and he pointed out, um, you know, the, he pointed out how, what it was like for him to respect his confidentiality. He pointed out what it was like for him and, and, um, you know, what he got from it, interestingly, and how he walked through it. And that, <clears throat> that was kind of the, the baseline of 
of his and I's amazing relationship. He and I were always super close, but that period of time, um, you know, and he just loves me so much. He just didn't want mommy to hurt. You know, that's the reality that our, our older children, especially. And so, and the younger ones, but more recently, um, I interviewed him actually on my Instagram and he has read the full book and, you know, and he kind of knows that this stuff I talk about and he's like, you know, this home within and this it and <clears throat> higher power stuff. He's an astrophysicist, but he came up with his own analogy to watch his mind's attack thoughts after first thinking himself like, well, what even is the thought? He said, well, you know, thoughts aren't necessarily attached to us. They're more like bundles of waves. And we can decide just like a radio to tune in or tune out. And so he thinks of his brain, his mind as a radio. I love that. And, you know, Maybe the little ones will come up with their own analogy. Maybe I'll get a radio. So, you know, in a couple of years I can say, okay, is the, do you want this up or do you want this down? That's another idea. Um, you know, it's, but the boilerplate to all of this is providing a safe place of vulnerability so that that connection can happen where no where shame is identified and then it's banned within and then you can provide a place where they cannot go there in their own head. That's, that's basically living the work. Yeah. Yeah. Earlier we were talking about how you and I were just talking about how we, we, we are living the work and how that's what it is. It's, it's just making space to be a human being and to be, yes. More recently, um, I had read chapter two to my mom, and that covers my childhood. And I read all of it pretty much, but she stopped me at this point. She goes, wait, I'm remembering something. And she opened up to me about some other things that she had gone through, stuff that I had never known, that I wish I had known. Because as a child, there wasn't a lot, there wasn't really any one-on-one there was very very little one-on-one real conversation and bless her heart seven kids in nine years and immigrant and you know um so what a beautiful thing to be able to share and then my children our children can feel safer and vulnerability and then but my mom it was just this beautiful beautiful moment and so i received more parenting in that moment different level of connection with your mom it just was um it's just one of the rewards of doing our own our own work within is is um it allowed to heal some things within in terms of um longing for more parenting um i'm going to switch gears for just a second here though because i'm Mindful of the time going by. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot to talk about. There's so much to talk about. I did want to ask you a question, though, for if if someone's listening and they're on board, they're like, okay, yes, I'm going to, I want to be a more mindful parent. I, I love this idea of allowing and less shame and fear and less judgment. 
What if you don't have a co-parent that embraces this approach? I don't know if that's an issue for you. I mean, I don't, I just know that that in your situation, you, you co-parent in separate homes. I don't know if that comes up ever or all the time. Okay. So maybe you could say something about that. Yeah, so it absolutely. Um, so I am a co-parent and there's two homes and we are very, very different. And I have to accept um, the fact that what I do is in the past, I would, my heart would be broken over the amount of technology, the amount of a, a lot of different things, um, the emotional intelligence or lack thereof that was there and, and just a whole, a lot. But the first step for me was realizing what I had control over and my response to him is one thing. Secondly, it was, what am I providing here under this roof? What am I providing in my interactions with my children? And that's, that's all I can do. What I do do with my ex-husband is I'll tell him what I'm doing that's working. Um, I will, you know, buy a duplicate of, for example, the Mightier, um, program that I told you about. I bought a second one for him and for listeners, that's a, a, a in real time, um, handheld game that when a child's breath is, is, or heart rate is going so high, it will stop and they have to do deep breathing for it to continue. Was that um, a lot or something? The lavalines. Yeah. Lavalines. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so Again, the three things are, what do we have control over? Say the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Again, that's personal awareness. Second is embrace and make the most of what we do have control over. Third is non-shame-based communicative suggestions. Two the co-parent. I mean, that, <laughs> those tips are huge because it, because it's a lot to take on. And, and I think some really helpful, helpful steps, you know, just walking them through it. Um, I think I just want to give you an opportunity now to kind of talk about anything else that you wanted to share, um, or that's on your mind, um, so that we don't, run out of time before we, we get to something that you really wanted to to talk about. I just want to, you know, point out that all of this is a process. All of it is a process. And the simple, simple baby step absolutely is just tuning within and remembering the truth of what we all are and starting simple. You know, our children were born into harmony. And that source of harmony never went away in any of us. It's still there. And our minds will just create the conflict with these thoughts and, you know, tuning into that source of peace. And it is harmony is, is right there within. And 
I just encourage anybody that is struggling to also reach out for help. It's the most courageous thing that we can do. And sometimes it's going within first and finding, you know, that self-worth. So if you're struggling reaching out for help, don't beat yourself up. Go within and you will find that source of hope and life. Well, I, I appreciate that today you have repeatedly uh, made a point of saying that it's hard, that it's a process, that it takes time. Because I think something that has always been um, helpful to me is just remembering the, the work of, of researchers on the power of compassion and having self-compassion and being able to have compassion for yourself and then to be able to extend that to others. This is hard. This is hard. It is hard. And that's how powerful the mind is, is even in when we recognize that, okay, I want to become more mindful, both for self and, and as a parent, and we are mindful, our mind will say, you're not mindful enough, or, you know, you're not noticing this. And so it's, it's constant, but the, again, the more place of self-compassion the more time that we can create for that, the easier the process is, truly. Yeah. yeah. And for anyone who now might be motivated to try to put, to put aside some time to sit quietly and start to take, create a place for themselves, I think it's really helpful for them to know that the experience needs to feel good at the start. You In the beginning, I know for myself, and it the beginning it was really hard and I still have times when it's really hard. Sometimes I sit there and I just feel like restless. I don't want to be there. Well, and that's okay. Right. And, you know, the book shows the recovery journey. And at the end, it's like a lot of people are saying, well, it's a quarter of like the, the peaceful. So when we own the story and when... I explained the process to get to this point today. We we are rewriting the story of, of living the work. And that will be in a second book, hopefully. But this like the, the conscious parenting and the self-compassion, uh, it is in real time. And it is a process. And I hope to share a lot, lot more about that. Most of my work today is all in the more mindful parenting and, and the helping others to ban their shame and to watch our attack thoughts and, and to get to that home within. So I'm living evidence that it's a process and that it's a continuing living project and it's okay. There's all, there's, there's so much joy and there's, you know, and even in difficult times, you know, there there's harmony and difficulty. There's joy in those times because they're not feared anymore. Life has a lot of different complicated things and it just gets so much easier when we don't run into, when we don't allow our mind to get into this fear and judgment. It's just, okay, what is the lesson here? And I'll take one thing at a time. And everything will be okay, really. And then you'll look back and you'll say, okay, 
I didn't let the fears or the shame take me over. It, it just becomes more and more non-existent. Shame itself, fears and judgments are just the natural state of the mind. But when you have that home within, it is like the starting point for each day to walk with these skills and with just a different way of life where, you know, there is balance and you don't expect all happiness or nor fear that there will be all pain. It just is. Just is. And, and it flows. It flows so much better. Yeah. And there's really a lot of joy. There's so much. I cannot express how much joy there is in the parenting moments today. It's like, okay, now I understand. Now I understand why this happened. When my oldest son told me the radio story that he was being more gentle on himself during finals this week, like, okay, maybe I'll get one of his A pluses. <laughs> you know, it just was, okay, you know, that's well, good stuff. It's really good stuff. And I think um, whether you get the A plus or not, I, <laughs> I think rather than getting something, I think you really giving something to, you know, to all the listeners or to the people in your community or in your orbit that in sharing your story, because to hear you speak this way and to feel that sense of how much joy you get in parenting, knowing your story. So again, if listeners go back and read your memoir, it's really, it's really remarkable. It's really, I mean, kind of gives me chills. It's just shows what's possible. And, and I think that, you know, for my understanding is if we can get out of our heads and we can break some of our thinking habits, there's so much more joy, so much more. So much more. So much more. And the level of connection, the emotional connection, the just all of it is so amazingly beautiful with our children when we have done our own work. You know, I can say to my youngest who, you know, he has, a, he has this scar that he would ask questions about. And, and I shared a story how, you know, a friend of mine had a scar and I asked him, I'll be quick here. Um, you know, how, how's the scar healing? And, and one of my sons was like, I have a scar too. And, and here was a, you know, strong, respectable man that the boys, you know, looked up to and he said, you know, see, I have one too. You know, we are the same. And like instantaneously in my son's psyche, at least I hope, somewhere deep, and he had a different understanding of this scar that his friends had pointed out. And and you know, I grew up with a big birthmark on my face that the kids would say, wash your face and make fun of me. And and he had heard some similar messages from me. But again, in that moment, a simple, simple moment, it's just, we are the same. And like all the parents or, or other people that are not parents that are listening today, we are all the same. We are infinite spirits. We are infinite spirits in a body that has a mind. And we are all doing the best we can. And the more aware we become of how our mind works, 
you know, and we share that with each other. We share our struggles, you know, and we realize we are the same and the less shame there is and the more human connection there is. So I just hope that this helps others. And I encourage anybody that's struggling to reach out for help because we are the same and no one's alone. And I think we'll probably connect again when you come out with your next book. That's the other the other thing I was listening to. I hope so. <laughs> I so. So this won't be our, hopefully this won't be our last conversation. Oh, I'm so grateful to be able to talk with you and to, you know, and, and let you give voice to some of these insights and and so much of what you've learned yourself. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much for what you do and for doing the second one.